see you this morning. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Pastor Chris is at the Calvary campus this morning, and I'm always grateful for the privilege of being able to stand with you and read God's Word together and, and take a look at what God's Word has to say. So thanks for allowing me to be here with you this morning. Have you ever learned a good lesson from a bad example? Isn't that a good place to start? Have you ever learned a good lesson from a bad example? Maybe I should ask, have you ever been the bad example? <laughs> um, I think about my dad sometimes when I ask questions like that because every time I stand up to preach, my dad always says, hey, hey, if you need an illustration of a bad example, you can always tell one of my stories. You can tell them about me. And I always have to tease him back and say, Dad, all your best bad examples aren't PG enough to talk about in church. <laughs> and so uh, that's what we're going to do today. What you just read in Luke chapter 16 shows us a really good lesson from what really is a very bad example. And I'm grateful that we get to talk about the topic that we're going to talk about today. You know, we're in a series called The Parables, and, and we've said the same things. We've kind of defined what a parable is. A parable is a small story with a big meaning. And Jesus taught in parables a lot. And when he taught with parables, he always tried to accomplish three things. He always talked, a parable always showed us a little bit about the kingdom of God. And a parable will show us something about the character of God, but it also shows us something about how we should relate to, him, relate to him and relate to one another. And so we see that. We've seen that in all the parables we've looked at so far. And in today's parable, well, of the parables that Jesus taught, there's about 40 of them. And of those 40 parables, about one in every three talks about the topic of money which is, I know, a challenging topic, but this is, one of those, this is one of those parables where you learn a good lesson from a bad example. And it is a parable that, that's one of the 40, 40 or so parables. It's one, of the, one in three that, that talks about money. And I'm glad we get to talk about it today because as a church, I know there's, there's sort of a stereotype for what churches mean when they start talking about money. And so I want you to know that I'm glad that today we get to talk about it because we're not in a project. We're not trying to raise mon money for a particular building that we're building or some project that we're trying to do. And, and we're not looking at the church budget going, oh, things are just in dire straits. We better talk about money so people will give more. That's really not what's going on. Income really is fine, and the spending is managed. And, and when I look at you all, I think of you as, as, a, as, a, as a gracious people, and, and I'm grateful for the way we give into our community and those kinds of things. And, and then I just know you all. I know you all, and I know, know our staff. And, and, and like your family, we're probably, when it comes to the church, we have visions and we have dreams, and just like your family, you have vision and dreams, and if there were more, certainly we could do more. So there's, there's that reality to it. But overall, we're, things are managed. Things, things are going fine. And so this really isn't about giving to the church today, even though you're going to hear that as a part of this message, because uh, I think giving to the church is important. I think the church is a worthy target. But I think if we capture these principles that we talk about today, I think you'll find that it's far better than that that the church isn't the only target, and that generosity is so much bigger and so much better than one single sort of monosyllable lesson we could learn about giving from Scripture. Actually, generosity and the way we manage our finances and the way we approach the dollars that God has entrusted to us, I, I see it all the time. It is the thing that causes the greatest amount of stress in marriages. 
It is the thing that causes marriages to fail. It causes couples to fight over their kids. It causes kids to, to really abandon the way they think about what their, the respect they have for their parents or the respect they have for others. There's just so many ways for us to go into debt today and so many ways to use the things that God's given to us wrongly. And I think, I just believe that if we can capture the principles that we see in this really good lesson from this really bad example, I think if we can capture the, the ideas behind this, that there will be a kind of freedom that we will experience as individuals that's just far better than, hey, you ought to give every now and then. I think it's just better than that. And so let's look at Luke chapter 16. Verse 1, we've already read the entire passage, and we're going to focus in on just a few things today. We're going to see it at the beginning of Luke chapter 16, verse 1. There's three principles from this pattern that I want us to catch. The first principle is that everything you have, you've been given. The second principle is that everything you've been given is a test of how much you can be trusted. And the third principle is that every trustworthy father or of Christ leverages what they have for the benefit of others. So those are the three big, broad principles that we're going to see today. And we see the very first one in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. He also said to the, to the disciples, this is Jesus talking, there was a rich man who had a manager. So it's a business relationship. There's a, a businessman who is rich, and this businessman has a manager who is managing his resources. And so, so the manager in this in this passage, he doesn't really own anything that we're going to talk about today. So the manager doesn't own anything in this passage. Everything you have, you've been given. Everything you have, you've been given. Just like the manager in this passage. I think about my dad uh, when I was a kid. He would give me an allowance. Every week he'd give me an allowance, a little bit of an allowance. And then we'd get to Christmas time. And I would give him a present that I would buy for him out of the allowance that he gave to me. <laughs> so for a long period of time, every Christmas present that my father got from me, that he received from me, he received from me purchasing using money that he gave to me. He purchased his own Christmas gift through me every year for a really long time. Everything you have, you've been given. And I think, you know, in, in Scripture, there's a man who had an interesting perspective on this. His name is King David, and you remember the story of King David, right? King David was the nobody who became a somebody. He was the teenager who slayed a giant. He killed a giant. He was the shepherd boy who became a king. And so here's David who has this very interesting perspective on all the things that it is that God had done for him and God had given him. Turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll see what that looks like. Everything you have you've been given. And King David had a very interesting perspective on what that really looks like. First Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse 11. Listen to this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in, in the heavens and in the earth is yours. How much is his? All, all that is in heaven and earth is his, is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is a prayer that David is praying in front of the entire congregation of Israel. And he's just making this incredible declaration that I may be the king 
But everything I have and everything we have as a nation, it all comes from you. And look at verse 14. David the king, he asks this question, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all these things come from you and of your own have we given you? See, even David the king had this perspective that everything he had, he was given. And he was given, it was given to him by God, just like the gift that I would give my own father. There's an easy way for me to illustrate this, and I'm going to need some help with this. And so I've asked uh, my friend Riley Jackson to come up here and help me. So Riley, if you would go ahead and come up here, that would be great. I've got this special, yeah, give, a, give a round of applause to Riley. It's a wonderful thing. I've got this very nice box here. You'll notice that this is our work box. So thank, thanks for being here. I appreciate you coming. Now here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give you, Riley, this dollar. Because clearly, I am a rich man. <laughs> right, thanks. So here's what I want to do. I'm the rich man, and just like in the story, I'm the rich man, and now you're the manager. Okay? Do you think you could manage to do some work with that dollar? Yes. Go ahead. Put, some, put that in there. So, so that's great. So he is managing to do some work with that dollar, right? Now, see, here's the thing that I think is a lie that we believe about our money. We believe it's all ours, that we all earned it, and that this is mine, and what is mine is mine, and what is yours should be mine someday soon, right? We just believe this lie that it comes from somewhere, and that's really from me. But that's not really the case, right? Because even the work we do, think about this, the knowledge that you have, the skill that you have, the talent that you have, the fact that you were born in this generation, in this country, the privilege that you have. Beyond the privilege that you have, maybe just those happy accidents that fell in your favor, all of those came from somewhere. And the source of that somewhere certainly wasn't you, right? Everything you have, you've been given. So, Riley, let me ask you a question. Where did you get that dollar? Me. So, I gave you the dollar, right? Who brought the box? I brought the box, right? Okay. So, I gave you the dollar, and I brought the box. Now, let's, uh, I mean, I really think... I know you. I think you probably do really good work. <laughs> I just think you do. So let's look inside the box and see what your work has produced. So go ahead and pull that out there and count it up. Let's just pull that out and let's see what your work has produced. That's very good. You can just count it right there on the table. Show it so that people can see it and count it out. That's good. <laughs> All right. So there should be $10 there, I believe is what that is. There's $10 there. Man, you do. You do good work. <laughs> Aren't you impressed? He's, yeah, that's very nice. That's very good. So just to be clear, I'm going to ask you now, who gave him the dollar? Uh, who brought the box? Okay, now let me ask this question, a complicated question. Let's see if we can do the math. Who gave the increase? I did. I mean, unless you think this is really like a magical box, right? And if you think that, I'd be happy to receive all of your $100 bills right here. And we'll just together see what happens. How does that sound? Does that sound all right? All right, so I, I brought the box. I gave the dollar. I made the increase, right? So, Riley, I'd like you to pick up all of that. That's $10. You can take it all. And here's the deal I want to make for you. Because you're such a good manager and because you managed to do such good work, you can have it all. That's good. Here's what I want you to do. This is the deal. I want you to keep 90% of it. Okay, so I think that's a pretty good return on investment. I don't know any business or any stock or mutual fund or any real estate plant. I don't know anything that will give you a 90% return on investment. But as, as your boss, you're the manager, I'd like you to keep 90% of it. And of that first 10%, I'd like you to just give it away. 
You think you could manage to do that? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I think we're done now. That's great. You keep 90%? Yeah, seriously. You keep the 90% and then just give away 10%. How much would 10% be? Mass test. It's just $1. So you keep the $9 and you can give away $1, right? You can give it to anybody you want to out here, anybody you want to. You can do that now. Let's give him a hand. Thank you very much. Thanks, Riley. Good job. Do you get it? Everything you have, you've been given. The dollar that he got first, the work that, was, that, that he managed to do, the increase that happened in the middle of it, everything you have, you've been given. Now, I said we were going to learn a good lesson from a bad example, and so it's from this point forward in Luke chapter 16 that things start to get really complicated. Look at Luke 16, uh, beginning in verse 2. And the business owner, the rich man, he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? He called his manager. What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. So the business owner, the rich man, he hears that his manager is wasting his money. He hears that the business manager is probably doing some shady deals and probably not being honest. And so now here the manager, <laughs> the manager's getting fired is what's happening. The manager's getting fired because he's just not doing with the rich man's money, the business owner's money, exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And so now he's losing his job because he's not been trustworthy. And so that's the second principle that we see. Everything you have, you've been given, but everything you've been given is a test that shows how much you can be trusted. Everything you've been given is a test of how much you can be trusted. And this manager has proven, he's proven that he just really can't be trusted. And so the business owner, he's, he's gracious, he's a kind man, he's not just cutting him off at the knees and he's not just saying, I think you're robbing from me so I'm gonna throw you into jail. He's saying, no, you've got some time. I've given you your two weeks notice. You've got some time to get your affairs in order. So this manager, being a shrewd manager, he decides he's gonna start doing some things to, to arrange his finances for the future. Well, you know, the Bible does call him a shrewd business manager. Doesn't that make sense that, that you, as an individual, if you want to be trusted with somebody else's things, if you want to be trusted with God's things, can you be trusted with your own things to save for the future, to point towards the future, the future to make those plans, to make those plans that will make for you a better future? Well, here's a man who's losing his job, and he's thinking, how, how can I possibly take care of myself? And he develops this plan. He develops this idea that I think is really kind of, it's clever. It's kind of, it's why he's the shrewd business manager. He goes to the people who own, owe his boss money. He goes to them and he says, here's what I want to do. I want to cut your debt in half. You owe 100, you owe 100 I'm going to cut it to 50%. You owe, you owe another 100 I'm going to cut yours to 80%. And he's just making these deals over and over and over with people. And the reason why he's doing that, I think Luke chapter 16 is interesting. It says the, the manager says, what am I going to do? I, I'm, too, I'm too weak to, to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. <laughs> Um, I, I think he's got a credible, an, an incredible kind of self-insight into himself. I'm too weak to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. It just sounds like the most privileged white-collar guy you've ever met, right? The 35-year-old teenager that's still living in his mom's basement. I'm too weak to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. Maybe that sounds like somebody you know right here in Owasso. He's just very white-collar. And so he starts making these deals 
with the people who owe his boss money. And they're really incredible deals. I'm going to cut yours by 50%. I'm going to cut yours by 20%. Now, the value, some commentators think that maybe what this man was doing was very generous, that he was cutting into his own profit margin. But the profit margin is just far too high for what this is. He's not really being generous here. He's doing something else. He's actually embezzling. He's actually stealing from his boss by cutting these debts in half. And, and, and one of those debts, the first one that he cuts by 50%, it's probably worth three years of wages. Three years wages is probably how much that's worth. And then the second one, the one that's cut by 20%, is probably worth 10 years wages. And I think it reveals something about just who we all are. It does. I think it reveals something about who we all are. Don't we all want to be treated generously by other people? I mean, isn't that the way we want people to treat us? I mean, aren't you, don't you just get excited when you make that great deal and all of a sudden you feel like you've gotten more for your money than anybody else could because the salesman was just so generous to you and to you alone? I mean, isn't generosity what we expect from everybody else? Isn't generosity what we hope to receive from everybody else? I've got reasons why my finances are shaped the way they're shaped and why I give like I do or why, they, why I save like I do or why I spend like I do and I've got reasons why I can't be generous because I know where all my money is. But man, I really hope that you'll be generous to me. Isn't that the way many of us approach our lives? And actually, it's not just about money, is it? There's this moment when I'm going to fail. There's this moment when I need forgiveness. And I hope in that moment that you're generous with me in your forgiveness. And then there's this moment when I'm just going to be boneheaded and I just don't understand something and I just need a little bit of grace. I need a little bit of patience and I just want you to be generous with your patience in me. Isn't that what we expect and hope and long for from everyone else? What if we became the people that instead of expecting generosity from someone else, what if we were the ones who were offering generosity, not just with our money, but with the fruit of the Spirit, with our faithfulness and the way we keep our promises, with our patience, with our joy. Give away joy like there is no budget. <laughs> Give away kindness like it'll never run out. What if we were just generous with one another? Yeah, that's what we expect from one another. What if we flipped the script and we became the ones who gave generously those things? Now, what the shrewd manager was doing here is he wasn't really being generous, was he? He was cutting their debts with kind of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of a, a, an idea. And I can almost hear what happens. You know, he's got the stack of the, this is the note, the loan that's been taken out. Here, quick, slash that in half. Take 50% off and sign it. And I can almost hear the conversation with the business manager, with the shrewd manager as it happens. I can almost hear the one whose debt is being forgiven saying to that manager, man, thank you so much. You're so generous. Let me know if there's ever anything I can do for you. Can't you just hear that? And then the one he cuts by 20%, about 10 years worth of wages. Oh, man, that's so generous. Thank you so much. This is going to be so helpful for my family. Thank you so much. Please let me know if there's ever anything I can do for you. You see, the shrewd manager wasn't really being generous. He was trying to buy their goodwill, right? He was trying to buy his future. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It was a transactional relationship that he was creating. I've done this for you, now you have to do this 
for me. And you know, that, that's not really what authentic generosity looks like. It's interesting how the Bible talks about it. Look at uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 8. Luke chapter 16, verse 8. The master comes along and he hears about these debts that have been forgiven and he hears what the shrewd business manager has done. And here's what he says, Luke 16, 8. The master, this sounds so ironic to me, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Wait a minute. The business manager or the, the owner of the business steps in and says, Good job for being clever. You just stole a lot of money from me. You continue to be dishonest. Good job. You're so shrewd. And I find that to be strange. Uh, maybe. Have you ever received from someone a backhanded compliment? You know, that kind of compliment. Hey, kid, you don't sweat much for a fat kid. You know, <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever received a backhanded compliment? I had a preacher friend who every time he'd, he'd get done preaching, uh, he'd go to the back and this woman would walk up to him and say, oh, Brother Bobby, your, your preaching is so good. It just gets better and better every week. One of these days, you'll be as good as Brother Paul used to be. <laughs> um, backhanded compliments. Have you ever had one of those? I think that's what the owner of the house, I think that's what the master was doing here. I think he was giving to this business manager a backhanded compliment. You know, for me, I love to play games and I love to win games. I like board games. I like card games. I like all kinds of games. I just enjoy playing games. And I have a couple of rules when I play games. One of them is I don't like to lose. I just, I don't like to lose. I like to win. And truthfully, I, I like to win so much that I have a second rule. And because it's a game, this is not true for every part of my life, but because it's the game, a game, part of my fun is trying to see how much in the game I can get away with. And so my second rule is win if you can, lose if you must, always cheat. <laughs> um, and it just makes the game so much more fun. I remember this time I was playing poker with our staff, our church staff. We were on a retreat. We were playing poker. Don't get nervous. It was just for chips. It wasn't for money or clothing or anything like that. It was just, it was just chips on a table is all that it was. And part of the fun for that night for me was I won. I won poker that night with just all those chips. But it was doubly fun for me because the entire night, one of the reasons I won is I placed very few bets with my own chips. <laughs> I, I used the chips of the people around me. And we were just talking and eating and laughing and betting. And, and I, used, I used somebody else's chips for every bet that I placed. It was awesome. I was shrewd. And the Bible says you get commended for that, right? You get commended for that. Here's the problem with being commended, that backhanded compliment of being commended for being shrewd. The Greek word for shrewd is phronimos. It's a fun word to say, isn't it? Phronimos. And it means to act thoughtfully. To act thoughtfully. Isn't that what you want to do? Isn't that what you need from people? Isn't that what you hope people do for you? Is that they act thoughtfully for you? And that's what, isn't that the nature of generosity, to be generous to someone else, to be thoughtful of someone else? But that's not the end of the definition. Phronimos' shrewdness means to act thoughtfully on one's own behalf. Phronimos, to be shrewd. It's what I did when I was sitting at that poker table. I was acting thoughtfully <laughs> on my own behalf. I was practicing a kind of thoughtful selfishness. 
You've experienced that before, a kind of thoughtful selfishness. I love to go to Disney World. You've heard me probably talk about how much I enjoy places like Disney World and the Disney Corporation. And part of what's fun for me about Disney is that they just create for my entire family. We've had, it's been awesome. We've had our senior adult grandparents there at the same time as our kids and strollers there and everyone in between. And it's like this crazy convoy of strollers and, and carts. And it's, it's amazing to see. And everyone of my family is having this incredible, magical experience. And it's just so incredible. I get there and we just have so much fun. I'm like, take my money, please. You know, it's just, it's awesome how incredible they do at creating those magical moments. And they're just so thoughtful while we're there. But if you think about it, their thoughtfulness is a form of thoughtful selfishness. It's really good business, right? They've provided this exceptional experience not to be generous to me and my family, <laughs> but to separate me from my money right? Isn't that what they've done? They've, they've practiced, it's good business, they've practiced a kind of thoughtful selfishness. They're being thoughtful to me on behalf of their own self-interest. Apple, Facebook, Google, they have entire business models based on this. It's actually called a freemium business model. Think about Google, Facebook, and Instagram. Think about those. You get their software, you get to use their software completely for free. You don't have to pay anything to use their software. You just occasionally do a search and you occasionally post something about your family. And from that, they're able to determine some of the things you like and the things you don't like. And now they can push an ad in front of you. And now they're making money from those ads. And now they're making millions from those. Oh, no, wait, they're making billions from those ads. And they're doing it by being thoughtfully selfish. There's nothing inherently wrong with doing good business. Nothing wrong with that. But don't mistake thoughtful selfishness for authentic generosity. You see, some of us, if everything you have you've been given, and everything you've been given is a test of how much you can be trusted, some of us, when we give, we give just like this shrewd manager. We give with a closed hand instead of an open hand. We give expecting something in return. We give with provisos and quid pro quos and expectations. We give with, with this expectation that somehow I can, well, just like this manager, the shrewd manager was buying the goodwill of the people whose debts he was cutting. We give thinking that we can somehow buy the goodwill of God. We give for the tax break. Or we give because somebody in our past, we give out a compulsion because somebody in our past just said, God won't like you if you don't give, which just really isn't true. But, but we, we, we give out of compulsion. We don't give cheerfully. We don't give with a pure heart, with pure motives. Instead, we, we, it's, it's not like we're giving something. It's really because our hand is closed. It's more like we're trying to, to buy something. I'm trying to buy goodwill. I'm trying to buy mm, forgiveness. You can't do that. I'm trying to buy God's good-naturedness or God's favor in my life. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is a, it's an interesting passage of Scripture. It's actually the love passage, and many of you may have had that passage read at your marriage, at your, at your wedding ceremony, but verse 3 in 1, Corinthians 13, in 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love is really interesting. It says, if I give everything I have, and I give my body to be burned, and I don't have love, I gain nothing. You know what that verse means? It means that your motive matters. That God doesn't see 
as man sees. He sees your heart, and what's inside your heart when you give matters. He's not looking for people who are trying to buy something from him. Why? Well, because he gave you everything you have in the first place. He's not looking for someone to try to buy his goodwill. You can't. You've already got it. It's called grace. He's already given it to you. He's not looking for you to try to buy something from him. It actually means this. It means if you give to get, you gain nothing from God is really what that means because the motive of our heart matters. And this shrewd manager, this shrewd manager was practicing a kind of thoughtful selfishness. And the verse is interesting. It actually says in verse 9, and I tell, oh, excuse me, back up to verse 8, the master can, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I hope that to be true. I hope that you, as a follower of Christ, I hope you're just not good at thoughtful selfishness. I just hope you're not good at it. It says that the, the sons of this world are better at it than the sons of light. I hope you're really good at authentic generosity. It's great to do good business, but this is something, there's just something better. And it's that idea that we all need people to be generous to us. But what if we flipped the script to become the people who were genuinely, authentically generous? Look at what happens next in the passage, verse 9. And this is such a strange, strange verse. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Now, oftentimes I said that these parables, they, they tell us something about the kingdom of God, the character of God, and how we relate to him. So everything about this parable so far today has made us believe that the business owner, the one who gave, that the business owner is, is really a picture of who God is. But now look at what God is saying. This sounds very strange. And I, that would be the business owner, God, tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth? Well, that, that sounds strange, doesn't it? God's saying, use your money to make friends? Well, actually, it's the end of the passage that tells us what God really means. So that when it fails, when what fails? So that when the unrighteous wealth fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. You see, someone who is authentically generous, well, they leverage what they have for eternal value. See, that's, that's how you know what authentic generosity looks like. Authentic generosity produces eternal value. The person who uses their money in this way, they take something that's unrighteous, like, like something that's as simple and worldly and basic as, as, as how we get and how we gain and how we give, and uses that. They leverage that for the benefit, not just the temporary benefit, but for the eternal benefit of the people around them. They become faithful with a little so that they can become trusted with a lot. And that becomes that third principle that we'll see. Everything you have, you've been given. Everything you've been given is a test of how much you can be trusted. And every trustworthy Christ follower leverages what they have for the benefit of others. Every trustworthy Christ follower leverages what they have for the benefit of others. 
Now, you've heard today in the video, you heard Chris reference that number 10%. And this might be the most challenging part of this message for everybody in the room. Because I look in the room and I think there's a lot of Christ followers in this room. But based on this parable and the principles that are contained herein, are you a trustworthy Christ follower? I know people will push back on the 10% number. Oh, that's an Old Testament number. That's just, that's something that we talk about. The New Testament doesn't give any numbers for how much you should give to the church or to anybody else. New Testament doesn't give that number, but do you know why? It's because grace expects more. It's because the effect of grace demands more. You remember in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, it says you should not commit murder. But in the New Testament, the Apostle John says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. Grace expects more. In the Old Testament, it says, don't commit adultery. Don't sleep with someone who's not your spouse. In the New Testament, Jesus says, if you lust in your heart after someone who's not your spouse, you've, you've committed adultery. Grace expects more. You know why there's no number in the New Testament? It's because in the New Testament, grace doesn't expect anything. Grace expects everything. Remember the story of the widow? There's these Pharisees. They're giving their offerings. They're making a public show of it. This very humble, poor widow walks up with two small coins, and Jesus publicly celebrates her gift. Why? Because she puts it in quietly, humbly. She puts it in, and he celebrates the fact that she gave everything. And so this part of the message, this part of the passage might be the hardest for us to take because I look into our room today and I think, I see a lot of Christ followers. But what I'd like you to ask yourself is, am I a trustworthy Christ follower? Am I honoring God by the way I give? Did I come into this room today expecting that everybody else who came in with me provided for my spot? Or did I come in expecting to give so that someone else, well, so that I can leverage what I have for the eternal benefit of someone else? I'm a Christ follower, but am I a trustworthy Christ follower? You see, there's so much freedom and so much fun that comes when we realize what authentic generosity really does. It frees us to say yes to blessing people. And, and I want you to understand that I believe that the church is a worthy target for your gift. If you're a Christ follower, and specifically if you're a member of this church, I believe it's a worthy target because we've said together as members and Christ followers in this church that this is the place and these are the people that I want to grow with. I want to grow with y'all. And I want to be accountable to. I want to be accountable to you guys. I want You guys make me better. And so I want you to help me not fall off a cliff. I want you to do that in, in my life. And I want to be able to do that for you and with you. And I want us to grow together. And I want to partner with you in ministry. All these things that you hear about, the, 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 the gathering on Maine that we were a part of this last Thursday, we provided the Kids Zone for that, the Fall Festival, all of the missionaries we help support around the world, all of the ministries right here at the mission, through English language learners, through the classes, that we, all of those things, they're all a worthy target. And as a member of this church, and as a Christ follower, I believe your gifts 
to this church are a worthy target. But man, giving is so much better than that. Genuine, authentic generosity is so much bigger and so much better than that. There's so much freedom that comes when I look at my resources and I realize everything I have, I've been given. And everything I've been given is a test that shows how much I can be trusted. And as a trustworthy Christ follower, I can now go, I can ask God the question, okay, God, you gave me some more. What do you want me to do with it now? Who, who, did you, who did you give me this for? How can I leverage this for my family, for my friends, for my community, for my church, for that cause that I'm passionate about, for that friend who's in need, for that person who's struggling and who's suffering? I'm gonna take a percentage of my income and I'm gonna give that away and I'm gonna know that I'm gonna give that away. I'm gonna be the first. It's gonna be the first and best I have to give. I'm not gonna give my least and my last and my leftovers. Maybe that's another question you should ask yourself because it, it helps you understand the difference between a Christ follower and a trustworthy Christ follower. Someone who's giving phronomos, shrewdly, with a closed hand, selfishly, thoughtfully. Uh, you know, I, I give, but do I give to get? Do I give to gain? Do I give begrudgingly? Maybe that's that test. Are you a trustworthy Christ follower? You see, because someone who has a heart for authentic generosity realizes that God has given exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, and with joy they can go, I'm going to give not my least and my last and my leftovers. Am I an authentic giver who's trustworthy? I can give my first and my best. And as I give my first and my best, I might start with 10%. But man, God, you've given me more, so what if I could give more? and to, and to a, a bigger target area? What if I could give more and give to a greater number of people? I have a percentage that I set aside and I know how much I'm gonna give. I'm disciplined in knowing that I know who I'm gonna to give to and how I'm gonna give. And so now my conscience is clear. I know that I am practicing authentic generosity because I'm giving the way God intends for me to give and I'm recognizing, I'm honoring with my things the way God intends for me to honor Him. Are you, well, you're a Christ follower. Are you a trustworthy Christ follower? If you're not a trustworthy Christ follower, then it's so simple to start. Give something to somebody without any attach attachments, without any strings attached. And then over time, move to 10%. I'm going to give something with no strings attached, and now I'm gonna to move to 10% of my first and my best. And then next, see if you can do even better than that. Because there's just this truth that God does something powerful when his people give generously and authentically. Now, that last piece is all about those of you who are Christ followers. But there are some of you in the room today that aren't Christ followers yet. And you know what? I still think generosity is a great idea for you. I still think going beyond thoughtful selfishness to becoming authentically generous, I still think that's a powerful principle that you can practice in your life, whether you trust in God or not. I think it's a powerful principle that'll change your marriage, that'll change the way you raise kids, and it'll change your finances. Pick your target, any target, and give it away and see what happens. I believe you'll find something powerful will happen in your own life. But can I just tell you, as someone who's not a Christ follower, do you know where the heart of this all begins? It begins in a verse that many of us are familiar with. It's John 3.16. It says, 
for God so loved the world that he gave. His ultimate expression of love for you began with a gift. And it wasn't a gift of his leftovers. It was a gift of his first and his best. He looked into your life and recognized that you needed someone to be generous to you. You knew you needed someone to be patient with you and kind with you. you, knew you he, he knew you needed that you needed someone to forgive you. And so he offered the life of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, but he didn't simply stay dead. He rose from the dead. He gave, God gave his first and his best, and he gave it for you so that you might receive his generosity through his forgiveness. And so today I wonder, if you're not a Christ follower, that, that would be a great first step for you to take, for you to simply surrender and say, God, I receive your gift. Thank you. I place my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, those of us who are Christ followers, the real question of our invitation today is, are you trustworthy? If you're not, you can be. And if you do, you're going to find something remarkable that will take place in your life as you let go and stop looking for what you get, but looking for the ways you can give.